Turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 23. We're looking at eight denunciating woes that the Lord Jesus Christ pronounces against the scribes, the Pharisees, whom he directly calls hypocrites, those who weren't what they appeared to be. And we see that particularly in the two woes which are rather vitally connected together to which we look this morning. We'll be reading in verses 25 through 28 and considering this passage. Matthew chapter 23, verse 25. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres, tombs, graves, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men. But within, you're full of hypocrisy and iniquity. The natural man, and particularly the natural man, and we mean by that anyone who's unregenerate, all who are unregenerate, all who know nothing, <clears throat> of the wondrous grace of God in the new birth, in the actual knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and his grace. The natural man lives in a condition of self-deception, particularly in the religious sense. And like the scribes and the Pharisees and the hypocrites of the Lord's eight woes, they tend to major upon outward appearance, while blindly ignoring the real ugliness of a depraved heart, which they cannot perceive aright. So that Jeremiah's description of the heart of man by nature is really rather fitting here when he writes in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The implication is that man, until God opens his heart, cannot know anything really about himself and his condition spiritually. You see, it's not what God sees. It's rather what men see that is the important thing. And especially does the religiously deceived put on a face to do what he or she does so that people will have a high opinion of them. Like the scribes and the Pharisees, as the Lord already said in verse 5 of this chapter, they do what they do for the praise of men. They want to be seen. They want to be praised. 
But the greatest deception, the real blindness, due to sinful self-love, it's not what is hidden to men. It's what they hide from themselves. It's not that men do not see what is really in them. They don't either. There's an incredible self-deception. Like the hypocrites in our text, upon whom the Lord pronounces these woes, they're blind to the condition of their own heart. But the one who exposes them for what they really are, the one who is in this unlike any other man, he sees the unseen. He sees the heart. He pierces to the very center of being, of all thought and all action. This one, the Holy One among men, has piercing sight to the essence of man's being, any man's being, any woman's being, any boy or girl. The reason is because he is more than a man. In all points he came like we are, but this one is the unique Son of God. He is the one who took human nature into union with his eternal deity. And he is the judge of all. When men in the day of judgment, which shall surely come, stand before God in judgment, it is he whom they shall stand before. As he says in John 5, the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. That all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father, which hath sent him. So, <clears throat> when you read in the Old Testament, for instance, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, 7, that man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord, that is Jehovah, looketh on the heart. What applies to Jehovah in the Old Testament applies to Jesus, who is the Christ, in the New Testament. Matter of fact, we're not going over this. It would might be rather tedious and would not fit the scheme, particularly of this message. But there are multiple passages in the Old Testament that are applied to Christ in the New Testament, fulfilled in him, distinctly showing him to be Jehovah. Even though concerning judgment. Even the one that says all men shall stand before him in judgment from Isaiah, for instance, at chapter 42. Jehovah is the judge. And it's before his judgment seat, that of Christ, that men shall stand and everyone give an account. So that when we look at this passage, we may view the Lord's woes as a kind of prelude to a coming day. A coming day of judgment. When not only the actions of men will be fully exposed, their hearts, their intents, 
will also be exposed. So, blessed those who in time, before the day of death, or the coming of the judge of all the earth, blessed the day when they are exposed to themselves. Because the Lord has renewed their blindness or removed it and caused them to see themselves as they really are. Sinners. Vile. Undone. Lost. In need of a Savior. And blessed when he calls in his word, Look unto me and be ye saved. showing himself and his cross as the only way to forgiveness, cleansing from sin, the only way to God the Father. The promise of the gospel, of course, is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. But these scribes, these Pharisees, these hypocrites of our passage, in being exposed would not come to the light that exposed them. They would hate it. They would reject it. They would reject the only one who could have saved them from their sins. Matter of fact, the nation, as a nation, will reject him, excepting a remnant who believed. That's why when we get to that astounding lament, he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her, her chicks under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. What a passage we shall find there. So we have... In these two woes that we consider this morning, the great danger, the great danger of religion without, while there is vile uncleanness within. So again, in verses 25 and 26 of Matthew 23, <clears throat> Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Well, we have, of course, an illustration the Lord is giving here. An illustration of a vainly cleaned up cup and platter. Of course, when you study the New Testament, you find out that the scribes and the Pharisees were traditionalists. That is, what was called the traditions of the fathers was put above the scriptures. This was their authority. And some of this involved ceremonial washings. It wasn't simply hygienic to get cleans or hands, for instance, clean. It was an exacting order that was prescribed by their tradition. 
We know, of course, that these traditions were man-made. They often contradicted the commands of God. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ says to them that they made void the word of God by the tradition, as in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 9. But in our text, in our text, the Lord uses the washing of these cups and platters as an illustration of what was in their hearts, what was in them. It was not their washing of the vessels. It was something about the contents in the vessels. And the contents in the vessels revealed the condition of their hearts. It was not the food. But the way they obtained their wealth. They put the food there. And the excesses of their consumptions that fill their cups and their platters. It was what they were on the inside that made their food unclean even. Not in the sight of men, but in the sight of God. The solemn word written by Isaiah in Isaiah 64 verse 6 that we are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf. Our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. That's incredible. That says even the right things that man does in sin by nature is unclean in the sight of God. Paul would write much later in Titus, Under the pure all things are pure. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. That's why you read in the Old Testament, even the plowing of the wicked is sin. Plowing. You see, man by nature in sin can do nothing clean. Because he's not clean. We're all as an unclean thing. These scribes and Pharisees then, the Lord Jesus is pointing out, they were greedy. They were grasping. They were lovers of money, not lovers of people. Certainly not lovers of God. They would even, of course, as we've already found from these woes in this passage, they would extort widows. They would take their livelihood by outward acts of religion and piety. An excess in temperance. Overindulgence in what filled their cups and platters reveals what they were inwardly. But as long as they were okay in their own sight, and as long as they appeared okay and praiseworthy to the people, that's what mattered to them. That's the thing that mattered to them. You see, they didn't do anything for the glory of God. They did it for their own glory. They did it for their own praise. 
began as the Lord said to them in chapter 23, verse 5. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. And all the time, they considered themselves righteous, but completely self-deceived. Thou blind Pharisee. They couldn't see what our Lord saw. This is why they hated the Lord. He exposed them. He exposed them for what they really were. Must have been a shock when in what we term the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus Christ looked at the crowd and said, except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. It was all outward with them. This is why their vile envy of the Lord, who is now incredibly popular with the people, which they would be instrumental about changing, this is what would lead them, their envy against the Lord himself, to do as Peter's words, to kill the prince of life. They hated them. They hated him. Light. The light had come into the world. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Well, here's a pretty good place, I think, for an important and searching application. No matter what we are outwardly, no matter how we appear to men outwardly, what we are inwardly is what we really are. We are what we are inwardly. Not how we appear outwardly. Pretty solemn thing, really, to consider. And the only way we can know what we are inwardly is if the Lord whose sight pierces to the heart the very being, uh, a center of being, if he is pleased to open our eyes to see it. If he is pleased to remove the blindness so that we see what we are by nature. And when he removes the sin blindness, the deception, deceived above all the heart. Deceiving above all the heart. That's quite a statement in Jeremiah 17, 9. When this disturbs one, and this brings the fear of God before whom we must appear if we are broken indeed over it. That becomes a point to say that God is doing something in us. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart. And saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. It is an incredible act of God's grace to make known to us what we are. 
And if he does this work in you, now, instead of the coming day of judgment, to stand before him when, quote, the secrets of men are made known. If he does this work in you now, we can indeed recognize it as a purposed grace on the part of God. Putting you in a position where you are then to hear the gospel, the good news that God gives to sinners. The good news of salvation from sin. All by the sovereign mercy of God and Him only. The thought is horrendous. Scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, would not come to see themselves as he saw them. And they would perish in their sins. And the most awful thing they would realize, more awful than the flames of hell, if you die in your sins, where I am, there you cannot come. Blessed, blessed those who seeing themselves as sinners see Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the only Savior of sinners who cry to him alone for mercy, who alone come to him who will not cast them out. But returning to our text, take note of the essential order that must be if outward acts are also to be right in the sight of God in verse 26. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Take note. It is not that the inside only must be clean. Not that only. That first. First, the inside must be clean. And when the inside is clean, the outside or what you do will also be clean. You see, that's the order in Scripture. We're not saved by grace. By works, we're saved by grace. But works will always follow. These hypocrites remained blind. But they're those who being given a new heart from a wondrous new birth from above, being born of God, will make it their first business to keep that heart as pure as possible. That's the business then. To keep the heart as pure as possible. It's because they by faith see God in Christ. 
and they want nothing to hinder that fellowship with him. There's nothing like fellowship with God. There's nothing like sweet and blessed communion with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the believer cries out, nothing between myself and the Savior. Nothing between. There's nothing that I want to hinder that fellowship with him who loved me. Him who gave himself for me. It's they who will heed the admonition of God as the loving father who guides his children to the greatest diligence they must have. As in Proverbs 4.23, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Out of the heart will proceed the way you speak and what you talk about. Out of the heart will proceed the way you live, what you do. But also, in a self-distrust, feeling the sinful tendencies that still remain in the flesh, we learn to cry out, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. It leads me to recognize something wrong. I want to bring it to the Savior. I want to confess it to Him. And realize that His blood cleanses from all sin. To the child of God whom Jesus Christ has made Himself known to. And redeemed by His blood. And loved with an everlasting love. They want him above all. Him above everything. Fellowship with him is the most important thing to the Christian. Then what you seek, the time you spend, the friends you choose, where you go, what you do, the language you use, what you allow before your eyes, the way you dress, will be governed by what you are. And what you are is what you are inwardly. And it makes itself known outwardly. Cleanse first that which is within the cup and the platter. Then the outside will be clean also. The same solemn exposure of hypocrisy or warning is reinforced by an impossible to miss illustration in verses 27 and 28 of our chapter 23 of Matthew. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, Hypocrites, for you're like unto whited sepulchres, cleaned up tombs and graves, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within, full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. 
even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men. But within, you're full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Just like graves, they're cleaned up. Never touching the inside. All and only for the outside. The only part that is seen, so the hypocrite's purpose is not for what God sees, but for what man sees. It was nearing the time of Passover. We know that, of course, is when the Lord Jesus Christ will be crucified. Nearing the time of Passover, pilgrims would be coming in, streaming to Jerusalem from all directions. And there was an annual whitewashing that would take place of the tombs and the graves. So they'd look their best. Maybe even so that some would avoid those tombs because it was considered unclean to touch the dead. The primary ambition of the scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, was to appear righteous unto men. To get their praise, their applause, to be admired, while remaining as corrupt inwardly as graves that hide the outward, the inward uncleanness by the outward beautification of them. No matter how much cleaning is done to a grave outwardly, you cannot change what's in it. No matter what one does outwardly, to appear praiseworthy in the sight of men. It can't change the part that God alone sees. Man looketh on the outward appearance. That's what moves him. That's the way of the world. You want to get a good job, you've got to appear right. You've got to say the right thing. You've got to give the right credentials and so forth. The world looks at the outside of things. Hollywood. They don't go after the ugliest people on the face of the earth. It's what is outward, what appears okay. Those who dress immodestly. They do so to be seen by men. But when God does his saving work, the work of sovereign grace and mercy only, it's by his will alone. This work doesn't change the old sinful heart. He gives a new heart. It's called a new creation. A new life. That old life's got to die. And die with Christ. 
there does come a real change. A real change. But this change comes because a new birth of life and a new heart has been given. There was prophesied long ages ago by the prophet Ezekiel. As God spoke through that prophet, a new heart also will I give you. And a new spirit will I put within you. I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a new heart. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. That was projecting that wonderful reality that the spirit of God is the one who guides us now under the new covenant that moves and leads us. As many are led by him, the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. He leads us into the right ways of God. It's he who does so. This birth, this new birth is completely of God. No one brings about their birth into this world by themselves or anything they do whatsoever or adding to it. Nor does anyone bring about the new birth except God. Born of God by his sovereign will alone. And when that takes place, and if it takes place, it will change what you are. And it all comes from a heart now hating what was once loved. And loving what was once hated. Leading to a life that's set apart to God and for his glory. Learning as Paul would write to the Ephesians to put off the old man with his deeds and to put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. This spiritual birth, this new life comes with new eyes to see things that were never seen before. New ears to hear what glorious things those new ears hear. And with a will that's no longer bound in sin, but bent toward God. Because it is God which worketh in you. Both to will and to do of his good pleasure. As in Philippians 2.13. With new sight comes new seeing. Seeing what was not before seen. New eyes and also new ears with a hearing that was not heard before inwardly and new desires. New desires to willingly do what was never done before. I once was blind. But now I see. And what I see in myself causes me to fear. And it breaks me. It brings me low. It causes me to despair of anything that I could do to change it eventually. 
because I see myself as a sinner standing in need of God's mercy. But what I now hear with new ears is that God sent His very own Son into this world to save sinners. That's me. That's me. I've sinned. I'm a sinner. God sent His Son to save sinners. I have hope. <laughs> There's mercy with Him. There's mercy with Him. I'm astounded. I'm astounded every day at the mercy of God. Every day I'm astounded at it. I look at it in Scripture. I see its descriptive terms, its adjectives and so forth that describe it in Scripture. Abundant. Great. <laughs> I hear it over and over in various ways declared the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, full of mercy. And I know it's so. I should have been in hell a long time ago. I should have perished. But for God's grace only. <laughs> and why he chose in his sovereign mercy to give me hearing ears in my heart to hear that Christ came into this world to save sinners like me. And called me to come and look to him and trust him only. How could I ever stop ceasing? How could I ever cease to praise and thank him? And want him to have all of me. He's the one who can forgive all sin. He gave himself to die in the stead of sinners to take all of the horrendous suffering and punishment that the justice of God must mete out if sinners are to be saved. And did it for me and you who hear and believe. He shed his blood to completely cleanse from all sin And you know what you'll find in Scripture? He never turned a sinner away who came to him poor and needy, wanting him alone, seeking mercy. There, believing, I come to him willingly. I call upon him to have mercy and to save me. And then rejoice in his promise. Him that cometh to me. I will no wise cast out. Unlike. The grave outwardly clean. But inwardly corrupt. 
those who are now in Christ have risen with him in newness of life. Now trust him alone. And they bow to him as Lord alone. No longer. No longer do these who truly are in Christ to want to live unto themselves. To fulfill sinful desires now resisted. But live only unto him who died for them and rose again. And lives for them. <clears throat> no longer are we who are truly in Christ. To be the Lord of our own lives. but to submit by faith to him who alone, whose love is deeper than the deepest part of the ocean, whose love is higher, goes beyond the furthest star. Well, we don't even know where that is, as Daniel showed us in Sunday school this morning, or how we'd ever get to such a knowledge of where it is. His love is wider than the expanse of the heavens. His love like himself is infinite. It has no end. And why he would choose to love sinners like us, I don't know. Except it pleased him to do so. But it's that love that conquered us who are in Christ. It's that love we beheld in the cross of our blessed Savior. That love that drew us. And it's that love that brought about ours for Him. It is that love that broke down every barrier that was between him and us. And caused us to cry out, now to be thine. Yea, thine alone. O Lamb of God, I come. Now to those who are truly in Christ, there's kind of a reversal. There's a reversal from the way of the scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. We see the outward man, what we are by nature, as corrupt, needing to be denied, reckoned dead with Christ. And brought into subjection to the new life. The new heart. Living no longer. Unto self. But unto him who cleansed us from sin. And brought us to himself. And wrapped his love around us. And showed us his cross. 
And now we put off concerning the way we live, the former conversation, the old man with his deeds. And we put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Then in trusting him alone, in looking to him only, in hearing his word, in learning of him, in seeking to follow him and imitate him, we can rest in a glorious promise. My sheep, hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Now we are His. Now... The inside's taken care of. The outside will follow. That's a matter now of the right order. May God bless the ministry of his holy word.